This is episode 137, Healing Trauma with Wesley Fuquay. My name is Tudor Alexander, and this is the Dance of Life podcast. Every week, my goal is to inspire you to take action towards what you love, live a transformed life, and enjoy the journey there. Are you ready? Let's go. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today. I have an inspiring guest with you, a great friend, actually. That's the most important part. Wesley, how's it going, my friend? I'm good, Tudor. Thank you for having me, brother. Dude, I love this quote that you pulled up for me, which is, fear is the memory of pain. Addiction is the memory of pleasure. Freedom is beyond both by Deepak Chopra. That is like totally spot on with trauma and all these things that we are constantly healing from right both both addiction to pleasure and uh, and traumatic traumatic experiences and trauma from fear and pain. Exactly. So I think that's so appropriate. What is that one that you've seen before this quote? Or you kind of just found it, or what? Um, what? I, I'm sure that came to me, you know, years ago on a on a social media <laughs> platform of some <laughs> sort. But um, it really spoke to me. It spoke to the the type of people that I work with, um, and it reminds me that in both directions we can have attachment. We can be stuck, mm. you know? And uh, I think a lot of times we over-focus on uh, a certain kind of negativity or trauma or things like that, but also mm. we can have we can have stuckness going the other direction. It's interesting. I was just thinking about this actually the other day because I'm in the process of compiling everything I've learned in the last 10 or 15 years for that course I was telling you, but I'm trying to make. And one of the things I was thinking about was exactly this in the sense that you have fear and desire, right? You have these two impetus is for uh is that right impetus impeti is there a plural for impetus <laughs> I'll, I'll take it plus it's a good dance term yeah so. impetus is impeti <laughs> well basically you have these two motivators you know for us and regardless of what it is it's always taking you out of the present right that's the source of suffering is it was the whole buddhism thing is that you know fear and desire is the root of suffering because you're never in the present moment when you're afraid of something you're you're thinking about what's going to happen what's that future moment you're living in that future or in the past, I guess, too. Uh, and same thing with desire. It's this constant state of an unreconciled, you know, present moment, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we're outside of ourselves in a way. And you could really you look at all trauma, all kind of traumatic experiences, and they have some sort of attachment or some sort of incongruence with the present moment and some sort of future or something that hasn't happened, whether it's something that we want it to happen right. How would you, I mean... In your experience with, with working with people and traumatic experiences, how would you say that kind of plays into the general patterns that you've seen with mm-hmm. people? Yeah. I've worked with a lot of people over the last several years that have gone through some very extreme traumas. Um, and one of the things that I think is important when we talk about trauma is that at some point during that event, mm-hmm. whether it be physical, sexual, emotional, what have you, there comes a point where the psyche can't take anymore and it says, uncle, I, I've had enough. Hmm. And the brain or the psyche's way of preserving our integrity in that moment is to employ a defense mechanism. Dissociation is common. Repression is common. Denial is common. Uh, uh, rationalization, you know, hmm. all those things. And what's happening in those moments is we, we we're scrambling to cope too much stimuli coming in, too much that we weren't prepared to handle. And so we start distorting reality. 
And in that moment, we do preserve a kind of ego integrity. Through dissociation, you don't have to any longer endure the direct awfulness of what's happening, mm-hmm. right? Through repression, you don't have to even think about it. You what know? do you mean by uh, ego integrity, like preserving that ego integrity through the trauma? Yeah, we, we've got a sense of ourself, like what can and can't happen to us, mm-hmm. <laughs> what right. we can and We're can't the endure. Our own story. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> right. we, we've, we've got a lot of opinions about ourselves that we've been building for a long time. And when a right. situation is going completely contrary and sideways to that, Right. We're trying to keep reality together mm. and things can be so terrible or so shocking or so confusing or baffling. Right. That we're scrambling, trying to make sense of this reality. Mm. And then there's only so much we can take. And then we start to check out. Mm. And so um, in that moment, it's a healthy thing. But if the psyche can't finish that event, if it can't come back and and close that, give give the the sense of self some some closure, then those things stay on loop. Those thoughts and emotions stay on loop. It's constantly trying to resolve itself. It's constantly trying to resolve, which we experience as intrusive thoughts, nightmares, you know. Those are the symptoms, basically. Yeah, being triggered, all these things, you know. And then we Mm -hmm. call that post-traumatic stress. We call that trauma. And what it is, is just, it is the incompleteness of that moment. Mm -hmm. The psyche is actually trying to finish it. And what a lot of people notice um, is that it's when they're feeling relaxed. It's when they're finally starting to wind down that this stuff will come up because the brain's going, oh, cool. Can we get rid of it now? And you're like, no, I'm at a movie with my kids. Now is not the right time. Mm. You know, can I get rid of it now? No, I'm cooking dinner with my lover. <laughs> can I get rid of it now? No, I'm, you know, it's always the wrong moment. So what do we do? We, we repress it again. Mm. And um, so I call that emotional charge. That is the the thoughts and emotions that are on loop or the things that we continue to give too much importance to um, that, that mean something to us. Um, all that has something to do with trauma. All that has to do with how we stay stuck being unable to have reconciliation or emotional psycho-emotional closure mm-hmm. right around some event. And I mean, I would imagine the different people and this has to play a big part in, in it too, in the sense that, you know, you, part of the healing process is you've, you've got the trauma and you're, you're working on completing that event. But the other part is building some sort of mental resilience of becoming more efficient as how you process life changes, right? I would imagine that that would be part of it. I mean, it, not everybody's equal when it comes to different changes, right? Like certain people will get more stressed out by things that arbitrarily are not as stressful for somebody who has had different experiences. Like, what do you have to say basically in regards to that? Conventionally speaking, you are correct. Yeah. What we're finding out with the work that we've been doing and that we've been perfecting and researching the last couple of years is that healing from trauma may not be as difficult as we have built it up to be. Mm. That trauma may not be as permanent as we have scared ourselves into believing. Interesting. And that we maybe have a greater capacity or certainly much more robustness to handle that situation and to see ourselves on the other side of it. So what we've found is that through a procedure of duplication of the elements that make up a cognition, right? So the things that can make up an experience are the four ways that your brain uh, categorizes information or neuro tags an experience. And Everything that's ever happened to us or everything that we'd ever think about is tagged with an image, a thought, an emotion, or a body sensation. Okay? Wow. So all memories. So an image, some sort of linguistic. So some sort of mental picture. Mental picture. 
a thought, which is self-talking, mm-hmm. self-commentary, an emotion, which is a state of being, mm. and some sort of body sensation. Body sensation, like, is that one of your senses, like smell or like... A, it could it, be gross uh, sensations, but it could also be subtle body sensations or felt senses, hmm. a feeling in the tummy, a I tightness see. in the chest, a fluttering, you know, Got it. in the heart or a tightness in the throat or something like that, right? Some sort of physiological response. There's something that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. So every memory is tagged with those four elements, anything you can remember. Wow. So if we make it something really simple and say, you know, uh, think of an ice cream cone. Well, immediately you're going to have some prototypical picture, picture <laughs> of an ice cream cone pop in your mind. You can't, you can't stop that. Um, you've got some thought about an ice cream cone, which is, wow, that sounds great. Or I got sick on my last one. Or I can't have one because I'm, I'm watching my... Whatever is the most relevant to you, right? You're going to have some sort of commentary. It'll be there with ice cream cone. And then you're going to have some sort of state of being. Like it'll either make you happy or you'll smile or you'll frown because you got sick on it. Or there'll be some sort of state of being shift. Now, all four of those exist for each memory? With everything. With everything. All of consciousness is tagged with an image, thought, emotion, or body sensation. Wow. And ice cream cone, body sensation, um, you may... Like a cold on your tongue or something like that. You could open up. You could salivate more. You could change Mm, your posture. You could lean in. You could lean away. Something's going to happen. Wow. Interesting. So with any event, same exact thing. So if I said, hey, um, think of something. You you have a really gorgeous um, gratitude page on your social media, right? (laughs) Right. So... um, Think of a positive event that's happened in the last 24 hours. Just let me know when you've got it. Got one in mind? Yeah. Okay, cool. So put your attention on that event. What do you see in your mind? What's there? Uh, I mean, I see a picture immediately of where I was. Okay, perfect. What's your thought in regards to that picture in your mind? What's your self-talk about that? Like it was pleasant. There you go. Okay, good. What's the emotional quality when you feel back into that event? Relaxed, peaceful. Relaxed, good. And where do you feel that relaxation in your body? Um, I would say probably like my lungs, diaphragm. Like I just feel very relaxed. Like I, I feel I can breathe very deeply. All right. There you go. Like I'm not tight in my chest. Exactly. Okay, cool. So um, That's interesting. Yeah. So let's try with something else. So think of something. This will be a little harder for you, but I know you can do it. <laughs> um, think of something uh, irritating, slightly uh, challenging, something you endured that, you know, wasn't so fun. Nothing oh, serious. That, that'll be easy. This week's been crazy. So I can, I Okay. Can so pick plenty. an event. So pick one. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. Okay, good. And then sort of uh, grab a snapshot of that moment in your mind of where like, okay, that's when it really culminated to be when it was challenging for me. Yeah. You got it? Okay. Hold that. What picture is there? What do you see? I see where I was when I felt that. Okay. Like the space I was in. Perfect. Okay. Excellent. All right. Good. What's your thought in that frozen moment that you took? Uh, this is hopeless. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Good. You're doing great. Good. What's the What's the emotion? What's the state of being in that frozen oh, moment? Oh, definitely anger. I anger? Was super frustrated. Good. And where do you feel in the body? In the chest. Tight okay. chest. Good. Everything we've ever gone through is tagged with those four elements. Wow, that's so crazy. So we call those the four awarenesses. You got your own hashtags in your own mind pretty much, but they're... They're hashtags. Yeah, they're, they're hashtags. Wow. That's exactly what's going on. So um, when we duplicate those elements... What do you mean when you say duplicate? So we want to recreate those elements again in consciousness. They're not happening. Oh, gotcha. So I had to ha- like how we just did now. Like we're presen- mm-hmm. presenting them back into yeah. our... And if I were working with you, I would go a little bit further and I would say, mm-hmm. see what you saw then. Hear what you were hearing then. Mm-hmm. Feel what you were feeling then and notice what you were noticing in that moment. In that moment, 
include yourself in the scene. Let me know when it's very vivid for you. Then at some point I'll say, is it a movie or a picture? And you'll say that it's a movie, for instance. And I'll say, great. I want you to freeze it, hold it, keep it perfectly still. And then this is the duplicative moment. I'm going to ask you about the elements of that frozen moment. If we're working on someone's trauma, the worst the worst moment of that trauma, the most intense moment should represent the moment when their psyche checked out. Gotcha. That should be the threshold in which their mind said, I'm That's done. That's it. Yeah. I'm out. So if we can duplicate that moment, because we can't reenact the moment, we don't right. want to do that, but we can duplicate the elements like that make it up. tags pretty much. Yep. And the closer we are to duplicating that moment, Okay, then the greater success we have in allowing that charge to dissipate and to dissolve. So, okay, my first question is when you duplicate a moment like that, yeah, obviously you're trying to kind of readdress it so it can be completed. That's the whole idea, right? Yes. What do you, I mean, the first reaction of somebody, let's say, hearing that that's never tried something like <laughs> this would be like, wait a minute. I don't want to go back there. You know, I don't yes. want to. I don't want to duplicate. Yes. Which is why it stayed stuck. Right. Because the natural human response is, I'm not going to go back and let that finish. Mm. Right. We have a natural trepidation for that. So this goes back to a very old psychological principle that um, was really being discovered uh, right around the the late 1940s. The reason why I can tell you that is there's a very important book that a lot of people have read who are in the the human potential world. And the book is called Man's Search for Meaning. It's oh, by yeah. Victor Frankl. Yeah. And his logotherapy is really based on uh, what we call paradoxical intention. So the layman's term for that is reverse psychology. Hmm. Okay. So he was the one that discovered that if he wanted to help his uh, patient who had a stutter, he would ask him to intentionally stutter and in doing so, when, when his client would try to intentionally stutter, he, he couldn't want to do it. <laughs> he could speak clearly. Yeah. Um, interesting. You know, we, we joke about this a lot, but if I say, hey, think of a pink elephant, it has the command or the instruction in it of pink elephant. So you, you can't not. You can't not think of it. Yeah. Think of one, right? So this is what we call paradoxical intention. It's going against the grain of what we would normally expect. And what's happening in that moment, when you try to stutter, you're trying to duplicate stuttering. So remember what I told you. Mm. In the moment of duplication, the thing that is charged, the thing that's stuck on loop, the, the thing that has too much importance in it Can will to begin dissolve. to dissolve. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, um, so this, like, is just a, a this is just like a feature of consciousness. It's like a consciousness hiccup, basically. That's, yeah. you know, a hiccup is kind of something that never got breathe through, you know, every time I have a hiccup, the, the way I always get rid of them is by slowing down my breathing and just letting it and mm-hmm. then focusing on the breathing. So I think what I'm getting, at least my interpretation of this is that it's like a mental hiccup that we keep glossing over and until you go back and look at it again and kind of recreate it in a sense and allow yeah. it to dissolve. Yeah. And we do that in a controlled way. We, yeah. we do that in a, in a very important way. And one of the unique things about the way we work and the way we train other people how to work is that when we're in this duplication phase, we're not engaging the narrative and we're not engaging the story about the trauma. Mm. We are only trying to duplicate the elements 
that make it up. All we need is a little bit of context. Not the, not the oh, got it. Got we it. don't need the narrative. We don't need the story. We don't need to know what happened. We don't need not to know what you think about it. the talking him. that you did on top of that that made you spin into that loop. Correct. So people's okay. emotional charge can add more drama onto trauma. Yeah, it's like their self-reflecting reaction mm-hmm. onto, onto that right. feeling. So all we need is the context, okay? And then we need to duplicate those four elements. And then that's it. And so uh, it's able to actually dissolve. And to talk about duplication one more, because this is kind of a tricky concept for some people, um, you can play with this sometime. Yeah. We all get a song stuck in our head. Yeah. You get it like an annoying song in your head. And it, go go play with this. Intentionally, go find that song. I don't know, on YouTube or something. Mm-hmm. Listen to it from beginning to end, mindfully. And it won't be in your head anymore. Wow, really? I'm That's one way that of getting now. rid of it. Really? So again, why does okay, why does that work? Like why does that happen? Okay. Um, I gotta tell you a little bit of it. I gotta build it up. In a little my bit. mind, it's like wouldn't that reinforce it? Like, okay, if something's going on and it's looping, it's looping, and you go listen to it, that would only make it stronger, right? That would enforce the habit. <laughs> <laughs> again, paradoxical intention, right. right? It's 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 a paradox. It it doesn't seem like it would be that's the way it would work. But remember the stuttering scenario, right? So let me build up a situation, see if I can't describe it a little bit. Yeah. Um, let's say that uh, for lunch, you know, I'm, I'm really craving Chipotle. Like I, I got to go there. I'm, I'm really wanting a burrito. <laughs> okay. And um, I've built up some emotional charge of desire. Yeah, you got that picture in your mind. I got it go. in there. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm salivating. So how am I going to handle this this charge that I've built, this desire, this hunger, this this need for this kind of lunch. Well, the easiest thing to do is to drive to Chipotle and have it. Well, the desire. moment I have it, I no longer desire it. The age-old okay? existential problem, right? So there you go. So the moment I get it, I don't, I'm not desiring it anymore. Now, I may trade for some other desire, but the way to dissolve that is a perfect duplication of my desire, right? So I had this thing going on where I really wanted Mm. this and then actually having it is a perfect duplication. Hmm. So that's, so I no longer desire Chipotle because I'm having it. It's in my mouth. Interesting. Okay. So that's one way, but that doesn't happen for everything. The second way that charge can dissolve through duplication is to authentically change my mind about what it was I thought I wanted. So I'm driving to get my Chipotle and I realize I don't want Chipotle. I want sushi. What was I thinking? Hmm. I No, I really didn't want that. I, I'm actually really wanting sushi and I, and I change. Now the desire has shifted. So if I authentically want sushi, guess what? I'm no longer desiring Chipotle. It dissolved away. Yeah, affect either you complete the desire or you change the desire. Okay. Third way is to duplicate the four elements that make up that psycho-emotional stuckness. The images, thoughts, emotions, and body sensations. Mm -hmm. The closest I can get in my mind to duplicating the images about what I want, the thoughts about how I want it, the emotions that are going on with that, and the body sensations, my desire for the Chipotle will start to drain out. And then I'll be left in a position where if I want to go get it, I can go get it. And if I don't go get it, I'll be okay. But with, okay, let's say you're duplicating it though. 
let's say you have the desire already, you have the image of the Chipotle in your mind. Mm-hmm. It's already in a sense in your mind already. So from there, from that point where you're in, if I can articulate this question correctly, when you're duplicating the image, let's say the third, the third thing that we met, we talked yeah. about, where you're trying to duplicate the the state and yeah. all those four things, isn't that already happening in your mind? Like, isn't it? You already have the picture. You're already yeah. salivating. You're already. <laughs> you would think, but for most of us, and this is something we could play with together if you want. Most of us have a bias to one or two of the elements, and we have a denial or a a a disowning of of another one or two of the elements. Hmm. So some people will be very visual, and there'll be lots of mental pictures. And they'll have body sensations, but if you ask them about emotions or thoughts, they get a little stuck. Oh, I see. Or they're really long on thoughts, but images are a little fuzzy. They're completely out of touch with their body. So if they, and if, they don't have the, the vocabulary to talk about the emotions. If they mindfully then recreate those four, all four of those elements, that's And the key is like all having, four elements. Uh, I see. Because so, your desire is not always all four. It might be just visual yes. or whatever. So what we're finding is it is it's what's important is the duplication of all four of the constituents of consciousness. All four elements have to be duplicated. If you duplicate one, two, or three of the elements, you'll get partial duplication. Some of the charge will come off, but not all of it. So with a lot of traditional psychotherapies, for instance, they're getting okay success because of a lot of partial duplications, but never full duplications. Yeah, they stick in the linguistic side of things maybe. Right. or So cognitive behavior will always be primarily about thoughts and rationalizations. There'll be an ignorance, literally, of body sensations. Very little on emotions, maybe not so much on images, right? If you go to um, psychoanalysis, it'll be heavy on long on emotions, pretty strong on images. Yeah, the person laying on the bench and how do you feel pretty much. Right, right? yeah. Yeah. But thoughts and body sensations might be left out. So what we're finding is the rapidity and the strength of the change and the transformation we see in the people we're helping, we're attributing that to a very careful duplication of all four elements in the moment. Interesting. Okay. And so that seems to be what drains it away. Now, what about fears? You know, you, okay, I'm following you on the Chipotle thing, and I, I get how you've got this desire. You can either change your desire, you can either satiate your desire, or you can recreate the full conscious representation of that Correct. desire, and then you're you're complete with that experience. And from yes. there, you can choose or not. You but can choose or not. I get that with the desire. But now with the, the thing that I'm not there yet with fear you're running away from something whereas desire feels like that makes sense because you're you're chasing something so how does it work with fear in the sense of mm-hmm. let's say the third one where you're recreating it or let's say even the first one where you're i'm here's my fear they say okay you're afraid of doing this like i guess you know you hear that anyway because the extra step that i didn't mention as i was trying to keep it simple is that when we do these procedures we duplicate the charge side Yeah. But we also anchor in the here and now. So there's an extra maneuver at the end of the process where we allow the person's psyche to integrate into here and now present time awareness. Hmm. So there's an extra thing here. I was trying to keep it a little bit simple and I'll do my best. But for anybody who heard this in college when they were in their psychology classes, um, there's a principle of psychology called cognitive dissonance. Dissonance. (laughs) And basically what it means is that you can't hold two inconsistent cognitions at the same time. Yeah. So we have an exploitation of that principle of psychology where 
right at the moment when you have it most perfectly frozen and duplicated, we ask you to do a very simple, almost silly seeming cognitive task, which is rooted in the here and now. The brain has to decide present time awareness or this thing. And present time awareness will always win out. So what happens in that moment, I'll, and I'll, now I'll trace back to something I mentioned before, in that moment of present time awareness, literally the awareness of I am now here, the brain goes, oh, we're done. It finishes it. It closes the loop. And it's no longer on this repetitious, wow. destructive cycle. You That's see what I'm saying? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So remember- You bring it to the crossroads and then yeah. you make it choose the present. Yeah. Because last time this happened, in real time- the psyche checked out. So now we've come up to the, the cusp past. of where it was before. And now there's a recognition of, oh, I'm now, this is now, I'm here. Wow. This is what's real. Oh, In crazy. that moment, that's when we short circuit the system and the brain goes, oh, that's just a memory. That's just something that, that happened to me, but it's not me. And this is the important part about trauma. When we have an integration of someone's trauma, that's what's happening. They don't forget the event. They don't suddenly believe that, you know, the event didn't happen or, happen or, right. or cause some sort of distress for them. It doesn't them. have the charge anymore. It doesn't have the charge anymore. And they are free from what that meant to them. They're no longer yeah. identified with it. They understand this is something that happened to they me, have the information, but it is not me. But it doesn't have the, the charge and the, the constant physiological response. It can no longer affect them in a psycho-emotional wow, way. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. And how long have you been doing that for? I've been studying this work for about five years. Yeah. Uh, I was introduced to it when I was leaving um, the college system where I taught a course on the psychology of consciousness and mature ego development. And I got introduced to this right at the tail end of my, my tenure doing that. And it was the best stuff I'd ever seen. It was the, it was the embodied application of the theory that I had been teaching. And this was an applied methodology that actually brought about the change that it promised it was going to bring. And this was in Europe, right? Last time I talked to you about this, didn't you learn about it from some guy that he was- Yeah, uh, it's a Yugoslavian psychologist. That's right. Yeah. Zivarad Slavinsky. And, uh, but I was introduced to it by my mentor, Satyan Raja, who's from Vancouver. Got it. Um, so I studied with Satyan for the better part of about three and a half years. And then um, I got to the point where I wanted to teach other practitioners how to do this. So I flew to Belgrade. I studied with Zivarad personally. And uh, I'm now one of his certified trainers where I can show other individuals how to apply these techniques wow. uh, in their human potential, you know, practices and that sort of thing. So we train other therapists, we train other coaches, we train other counselors how to apply these types of methodologies so that they can get their clients unstuck around either negative experiences, problems, or or goals. What uh, What is the training like? I mean, let's say somebody wanted to add this to their work, you know, whatever kind of work that they are in, in mm -hmm. healing and in, in medicine, whatever, how long is the program? What, you know, what are the results like? What kind of stories have you, uh, that you can share? Yeah. So we've got two phases. We can train people in individual processes. And so the different protocols, um, have different, uh, have different outcomes that are possible for them. So we have a trauma integration process, which I've been loosely talking about here. Mm -hmm. um, we have some protocols that work specifically with identities and integrating identities that we are falsely attached to and mm -hmm. leaving ourselves in a spiritually awakened state of freedom. Um, we can work with, with, um, 
with any kind of experiences, any kind of problems, and also the actualization of goals. So there's about 24 different protocols and people can learn those individually if they wish. And we have trainings for those, which are usually somewhere around the, uh, a two day training over a weekend that we do, uh, as a teleconference and our structure is to, so they could be pretty much anywhere. It's, it's all virtual. Yeah. And we have been training people internationally with this. So, uh, the structure of training is always the same. There is some theoretical background, so they understand the principles that we're talking about. We've introduced some of that here. And then the structure is to demonstrate one, which is usually by me or one of the other certified trainers. Then they do one, and then they exchange one with the other members of the people on the training call. So um, this allows for a rapid integration of the methodology because they get to see one done. Then they have one done on themselves, and then they have to immediately then apply it. Yeah, all on a three colleague. ways of learning, pretty much. All three ways of learning, and then we have a Q and A afterwards. So that's one phase is to learn the processes one at a time. Mm-hmm. We also have um, a Silogia methodology coaching program, which is a full six month immersion, where they learn not only all these integrative protocols that I'm speaking about, but they also learn the theory that supports it all, which is integral theory. So it's the mixture of uh, an immersion in integral theory and integral ideology and integral perspective taking and also learning how to use the methodology in a powerful way so they can serve their clients. What's what's integral theory? I think I remember learning a little bit about it and it was very interesting, but I, I'm I'm having a hard time yeah, recalling so what it was. It's a it's a theory of everything. There's an American philosopher who's still with us, thank goodness, by the name of Ken Wilbur. Hmm. And he's been uh, writing seminal books for the better part of 30 years now on integral consciousness and integral theory. And so basically it is, is the, the honoring of as many perspectives as possible Hmm. when looking at a particular problem or situation. So there's always the inside and outside of the individual and the collective. So he's got this quadrant model that we can basically use as a lens to look at phenomena through. And what it does is it honors the the main features of existence, which are arts, morals, and sciences, or uh, the exterior, the interior, the cultural point of view, and the environmental so point like of a view. patient, let's say, or somebody comes to you and you're looking at at them through all four of these lenses. lenses to draw customized, basically, solutions. Yes, precisely. So what's different here is, say, someone's coming to us and they say, uh, you know, I'm suffering from depression. Yeah. Well, if I was only a neuroscientist, then I'd say, oh, well, you've got lower levels of uh, of dopamine than, dopamine. Most, than most individuals. And so we need to lift that serotonin or dopamine levels higher. Mm. And so... Uh, what we need to do is give you some medication. So we're going to give you this serotonin reuptake inhibitor and your serotonin levels are going to come up and you're going to feel better. Aren't you glad? Off you go. Um, But what that does is that leaves out the interior meaninglessness that that person is experiencing. Yeah. The etiology of why they would feel hopeless. It's leaving out the entire cultural definition of where we draw the line in the sand and say, well, this is depression and this isn't. And it's leaving out all the environmental factors that may be playing a role in terms of where you live, what's happening around you. Mm. 
these sorts of things. So we want to say, okay, maybe the serotonin levels are low, but let's look at what is the framework that everything looks hopeless. Mm-hmm. Why is there a meaninglessness? What's going on inside with how you make sense of the world? What's going on with your worldview that's playing into this? What's going on relationally and culturally that's feeding into this? And are there any environmental influencers here? Okay. So all that has to be taken into consideration. Then as long as we honor all four of those domains, then it's okay to give medication as long as we do it in conjunction with uh, reframing and restructuring the meaning making system. And it's okay to do that as long as we look at the relational, cultural, and um, and like family systems that influence mm. it. And we need to pay attention to what's going on environmentally because where you live has a lot to do Absolutely, with how you look at the yeah. world. So we have to honor all those domains at once. When we do that, we get greater success. We get faster success. We get more permanent healing. We get more permanent uh, change. How do you, okay, so no, I totally agree. I'm 100% agree. But my, my question would be, how do you prioritize then when you let's say you you take in all these different aspects of a person right then how do you make the next decision what's the what do you say okay you know what in this case i'm going to go a little bit stronger with the medical side or i'm going to go we're going to really you know like what is i mean i guess maybe there's no for simple us, answer for us we to don't that. prioritize it we understand they all co-arise at the same time okay yeah so we're not championing one over the other mhm because you can find any discipline where they're going to say, no, that's the only thing to look at. Right, right. Okay. So if you talk to a neurobiologist, they're going to say it's the serotonin. Mm. If you talk to a psychologist, they're going to say it's the meaning making system. Yeah. If you talk to a social worker, they're going to tell you it's the cultural um, it's the cultural landscape that they, they're in and what's going on with their family. Mm. And if you talk to a sociologist, they're going to say, well, it's their geographical location and, and the the um, you know their access to provisions and certain rites and rituals. So every one of those domains is right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. But they're all right in a way where they're not all one hundred percent right, and they're yeah. not all one hundred percent wrong. Mm-hmm. So what we find is that rapid shift or an acceleration of consciousness happens when we cross train those areas. So maybe the best analogy is it's like P ninety X. It's like the you know the P90X version of psychology, right? You don't choose in P90X which one to do the most. <laughs> right. The whole intention is to sort of scramble the system and do all of them. So basically, I'm guessing people have a lot more. I don't want to call it homework, but basically, when somebody is being seen from that perspective and treated from that perspective, their treatment is going to be much more varied and much more like they're going to have a lot more stuff going on to treat them, right? Or I mean, I'm guessing, okay, if we got to do a little bit of change in your environment, we got to do some medicine, we got to do a little bit of, uh, you know, cultural something, you know, I, I don't know mm-hmm. what happens, but as opposed to, let's say, just going to the neurologist where the guy's like, okay, here's some meds and then I see you, simple solution, mm-hmm. quote unquote simple. But do you know what I mean? Like if somebody's yeah. being taken into account with all these different perspectives, then I'm guessing that the treatment is a lot grander in scale. It's just more holistic. More holistic. It's more holistic. Mm-hmm. So... I work with a lot of people who are very healthy people. I don't, I don't work with the, with the, with the clinically struggling. Yeah. 
So if someone comes to me and they say, look, you know, um, I got something going on with my relationships and, you know, I'm really feeling kind of down and out and I've, I've taken on some bad habits and, um, you know, I just, I don't feel good about the world. I'm feeling a bit lost. I don't have any mission. Okay. So I'm interested in a couple of things. I'm interested in that value system that they have. I'm interested in their meaning making system. I'm interested in how they're talking to themselves, right? That would all be the interior of them. Mm-hmm. But I'm also interested in what kind of physical activity are you doing? Are you getting outside? What are you consuming? What's your diet like? Mm-hmm. What are you consuming in terms of information? That's are you true. getting enough sleep? Right? Okay, that's all the exterior part of that map. And then I'm interested in what are your connections like? Who supports you? Who do you talk to? Mm-hmm. Who are the people influencing you? What kind of interactions are you having? That's that whole relational part. Mm-hmm. And then I also need to take into account What's happening around you? Where do you live? What sorts of things? Yeah, culturally, socioeconomically. Do you have a car? Do you have money? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's your neighborhood like? Right. You know, these sorts of things. Um, so I factor in all of that. Mm-hmm. And where it's lacking, we got to shore it up. And I don't want to over-champion one of those domains more than another. Mm-hmm. So again, when we're cross-training like that, we're taking all that into consideration. And then we've got a much more holistic approach to helping that person. Hmm. Fascinating. I mean, I'm sure you've get some drastically quicker results than, let's say, traditional therapy. We're I seeing mean, really, we're seeing very fast results. So, um, specifically, you know, our topic tonight is talking about trauma. I've followed up with several hundred of the people that we've taken through this trauma integration. I I call them every couple of weeks. I call them every couple of months. I call them every couple of years. I'm now able to check in on people five years on now. And when I call them, I'm, I say to them, how's it going with that? We worked on this thing. I repeat back to them exactly what it is that occurred to them in a very um, stark way. Mm. And they always tell me the same thing. Wesley, it's a part of me, but it doesn't define me anymore. I mm. am no longer a slave to that. I am free. Okay, well, this happened. Yes, it happened. It just feels like something. Trigger it, basically. I try to trigger them. I can't do it. They (laughs) tell me. They tell me they're fine. They've gone on to other problems. (laughs) They got other things, but that thing has remains resolved. So we're seeing very, very strong success rates with that. Mm. Um, We're seeing about eighty to eighty-five percent success rate in whatever we choose to integrate is staying stable as an integration. We're not seeing relapses. We're not having people come back and in. And how long do these people see you for? Like, let's say, okay, <laughs> let's pick something serious, you know, like, I don't know, somebody experienced It's one it. session. It doesn't matter what you're going to tell me. One session. <laughs> these trauma integrations that we're talking about happen in one session. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it doesn't matter what the trauma is. So we've worked with veterans. And by the way, we offer um, free trauma integration sessions to veterans any type of first That's responder awesome. professional. That's really awesome. Yeah, we offer complimentary sessions to those individuals. So we've helped those people out. Um, I've had military personnel. I've had first responders. You know, we've, we've got these people. They're fine. They've gotten back to what they were needing to do. Um, worked with a lot of people who've had um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Um, and when we talk to them again, they remain free around that which we we worked on the integration mm-hmm. with. And it doesn't matter if it's incest. It doesn't matter if it's um, 
sexual violation. It doesn't matter if it's long-term emotional abuse. We're seeing the same type of result. So when we do these trauma integrations, we don't want people uncomfortable for a very long period of time. We understand we're duplicating yeah, exactly. the very thing they don't want to re-experience. So people are uncomfortable for maybe 30 to 45 seconds. That's it. After that, it rapidly dissipates and it starts to dissolve out like we talked wow, about. And so people are fine. And again, it's happening because... We've built up this culture of fear around trauma. We're, we're dancing around it on eggshells and we're treating like, oh. Yeah, and we're never actually getting to Yeah, we're it. never really getting to it. And so now we're afraid to get to it. And so we never really get there. Hmm. So humans are far more ro- robust than we're giving ourselves credit for right now. And we can handle a certain amount of a duplication of these elements. And then we can allow people to have their resolution. You, know, you mentioned something that kind of made me think a little bit, which is the idea of us being more robust. And I really wonder, do you think that our generations now with with everything that's going on socioeconomically, culturally, technologically, that it's playing to that fear in the sense of in, in encouraging us to be less robust in the sense that not that it's changing our inherent capability, but how we manifest in our ability to handle trauma because of everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, like you look at, for example, people, I don't know, like my, my great grandfather or my, you know, grandparents, they were like in world war two, you know, or whatever, you know, it's like they, they got their houses bombed. They got, you know, just massive amount of loss and change and trauma, you know, and uh, you know, I'm sure they had issues too, but it's like even people back in the day when they were dealing with all kinds of problems, it seems like our generation, now the younger generations, because of the, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe the technological comforts and all these things that are happening and, and the, I don't know exactly what it is, mm-hmm. but I'll just leave it up to you. You can answer it. What, there is what, a cultural, the there's a cultural sensitivity that we are valuing right now. Yeah. Where we're looking for, we're looking for sensitivity we are looking for a kind of um, acknowledgement. We're looking for a kind of uh, uh, embrace around phenomena happening. And right now in North America, that's pretty popular right now. Hmm. Everyone's sensitive. Everyone has needs. Um, everybody should be attended to in a direct and unique way, specific to them. And there is a lot of truth to that. And that is something that has been a long time coming and we should be honoring and we should be feeling out the parameters of that. But with every bit of good news comes a little bit of bad news. Right. (laughs) And um, the other side of that is we can be in a bubble. We can be a little bit too careful. Hmm. And with too much consensus, with too much sensitivity, with too much... um, being protective and careful, too much helicoptering, um, we can not get anything done. We can't move forward. We're so busy attending to this strong emotional need and we can, we can get very stuck. And that's where we are right now. Hmm. We're a little bit stuck. The human organism is ridiculously robust. We just are not treating ourselves right now as if we yeah. are as robust as we are. Um, there are countless historical references that you and I can point to that can obviously 
show us that this robustness is indeed true. And there's also the fact that we're all here and alive right now. There's 70,000 years of ancestry and experience that proves that that robustness is indeed inherent and, yeah, and we alive and well. <laughs> right. um, we wouldn't be here without it. Hmm. And, and terrible things can befall a person. And remarkable things can happen as a progression from those terrible things, mm -hmm. right? Um, humans are, are remarkable in their plasticity. Yeah, they say that your your wounds are your greatest gifts. You know, to be able to turn something. A lot of the great things that have happened, you know, in some sense, have been sourced from some of the greatest pains too. Yeah, you know, which is a testament to to what we were talking yes. about. Limitations are only limitations from one of those perspectives we were talking about earlier. Mm. And a lot of times, those are the things that actually mark you. They are the things that make you unique. It is true. The wound and the gift are reciprocal of each other. We're just in a phase of consciousness right now, societally, where we think that all wounds are bad, all abuses are terrible and should be punished. Um, and this is risky for me to say, but this is what's going on right now. And there is, there is a place beyond what people are defining as atrocities. There is a, there is a further understanding. Mm -hmm. Human consciousness reaches further than that, and it can be taken in an even broader, more compassionate perspective. And that's just something people have to grow into. Um, and my colleagues and myself were willing to be the demonstration of what it looks like to try to live from there, and to try to conduct ourselves from that place, which is the further reaches of consciousness. And we are trying to heal people with that intention, holding that kind of space for that. And we'll continue to do that as guides and as mentors and of people who are willing to take the torch and say, this is what it looks like. There is a place beyond this. And so when you are satisfied that you've been attended to or all your needs have been met, or you've been able to voice yourself, or you've been able to um, have enough people acknowledge your sensitivities, you will want something else beyond that. That is not the end game. Something moves beyond that. Consciousness is much more wide and broad than that. Yeah, it's not just trying to fill the hole. It's it's expanding and trying to grow. That's correct. So we're training people how to hold that perspective. Hmm. We are wanting to, with our one-to-one -one clients, show them what those places look like so they can conduct themselves and show up in a much greater capacity. So, um, so do you do a lot of shifting? Let's say, you know, I'm when somebody's coming in for trauma is there also after that that sensitivity or that that you know hole has been filled let's say then is there a shift to focusing on that growth and the future and the purpose the sense of alignment with with something fulfilling in the sense that that overshadows you know because sometimes too once you've filled a trauma up it's very and let's say you leave it at that and it's there's just empty space it's easy for that empty space to get filled up again with other nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. People can fill it up again. Unless and we do our best to encourage them after <laughs> so many cleanups, you know, just um, my, uh, that was an incomplete thought, but something more important came. Uh, my teacher is very fond of saying to me, you need to be healed enough. Mm. You're never going to heal everything. You can't right. even remember it all. So the goal here is not to try to, heal everything and pretend as if you are a victim and you are broken. We should be striving to be healed enough, hmm. enough that we can take ourselves up and give our deepest gifts. 
That's what's important. To be healed enough that you can give your deepest gift. And that will not include all of it. And it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to. Life is it would in go the on action, forever. right? It's in the movement of things. It would go on forever. And even if you could somehow historically clean up everything, something's just going to happen tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> you know, it, it, that that is an endless hungry ghost. What do you say about, like, you know, when you have a, a particular experience, let's say a traumatic experience, a, a emotional thing, what, what I find is also that it creates layers and triggers you know for example i i'll give you a quick story that just reminded me of i was out working and i i you know i get paid um cash for whatever i I was doing here and so i was in a different part of town i never was before and i went to go get some mexican food and the 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 cash was in an envelope and and i just i was just being i was tired late at night of being stupid (laughs) i even said the word stupid now i left my envelope in the car and I left my car unlocked too. And so I come back and my envelope was gone. Now, look, I've had, at the time, I have a ton of money in my account. And there's no problem with that. But when I saw that that envelope was stolen, I like, I even now just thinking about it, like I get that rage, you know, I got that rage. And as I was working on with another uh, good friend of mine, Lee, who does the emotion code, we kind of backtracked and backtracked. And I found this memory of being a little kid where I, I was waiting for the bus. It was like in sixth grade and I left my backpack, which was like this brand new like leather backpack my mom got for me and all this stuff. And I, I went to go in the, the video game store and I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I left my backpack. I was like, oh, nobody's going to take it. You know, people are good natured, whatever. And so <laughs> I came back literally when the bus was pulling away, my backpack was gone and I felt so stupid. And that was the word that I found was stupid. It was a trigger, you know? Mm. So anyway, long story short, what that in a microcosm taught me was that there's these things that happen, let's say as a kid, you know, whatever, these these wounded, these little wounds that then start to mirror each other and create like relapses as we go. And then pretty soon, let's say, let's say a week later, something happens that, that triggers that old experience and then it creates another layer. And then that now that's the fresh layer. Then something, ha- you know, so you have by the time you're like, you know, 30, 40, 50, whatever, you got this one experience that's really kind of like a column of, of things that have been mirrored throughout time. So my question is to kind of now circle back to what I wanted to ask you, which is if you go back to, let's say one of those original experiences that you can find and you can dig up and you, you do this trauma release, do you find that there's a relationship to other triggers? Like let's say whatever, somebody clears a trauma that happened and then now they notice, hey, you know what? By the way, I also don't seem to get in as many arguments with my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, you know, like about X, Y, Z. Like, do you notice that there's a, a generalizing effect or is it more? I have a different metaphor, but I can speak to it. So yeah. the closer we get to a root event or what I call a ground zero event, hmm. everything layered on top of that will come down with the dissolution of that root event. Mm-hmm. So right. anything on that tree, anything on that branch will come down with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the more we can get to where we're working with a core event of some sort, anything that was developed on that branch will collapse with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we don't need to go limb by limb, leaf by leaf. Right. We can actually go at the the root event. And when you take it out at the root event, everything that was related to it or stacked on top of it will come down with it. That's what we've, that's what we've seen. And do you find like when somebody comes in 
you know, let's say to, to do a drama, a trauma release that, that you have to like do a little bit of digging. Like, do you go through a process of like basically questioning them and saying, okay, this is actually what's really going on. And, and, and you heal that moment or do you go with what they initially came with? Most people who are coming in and saying, listen, you know, I, I've got this life event that I can't get past. We know exactly what it is yeah, and we're able to go right after it. Sometimes when I'm working with other people who have, you know, different sets of goals and, and trauma isn't the first thing that comes up, we have to go digging around for it. But we also have what, I, what I've come to call a core charge assessment. So we actually created an assessment tool. It's an old psychoanalytic tool um, that helps us really get to the root of at least three core events in somebody's life that would represent when things started to take that different trajectory. Got it. So we do have an assessment for that. And sometimes I need to use it again. If somebody's coming in and they know what it is, right? They specific. know there was a violation. Yeah. They know there was an accident. They know there was a catastrophe. You know, they, they understand, they know there's a phobia, mm-hmm. this sort of thing. So, but with the situations where somebody can't pinpoint it, then we do like have a, a generalized anxiety or something like that. So they, that's where you would have more of a, yeah. an assessment situation. Yeah. Or sometimes we know something's blocking them and they can't quite articulate it. So we go rooting around and try to find out what was that core event that may represent that. Rarely is that, again, a trauma, but sometimes it is a, it's a critical moment in their upbringing that started to set a trajectory for their life experiences, which I wouldn't necessarily put in the category of a trauma. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what what is trauma? Like, how do you, how would you define that? Because... I mean, that's to some degree so, relative, right? <laughs> yeah. We, ask me tomorrow and I'll, I'll say something different. But the thing that's coming up right now is that I think an easy way to define trauma without really getting bogged down into it would be it, it, it's a moment in time when, when a little part of you died. Hmm. It's, and who, it's and when or we it's say another you, moment in which time. Which you are we talking about here? What's that? When we say you... Which you are we talking about? Like you as your inner, inner child, you as your ego, you as your because yeah. that's that's it's an a moment when too. it's a moment when the illusion of reality shatters. Yeah. You know? Wow. <laughs> that's what it is. It it it's when you had an expectation about how things were gonna go and then it completely didn't go that way. It shattered everything you were expecting to happen. Hmm. You know? And again, that that can take a lot of forms for a lot of people. Um Would you say though that all trauma would fall under some sort of cognitive dissonance, some sort of yes, dis, you know, dis- misalignment between what is and what is in <laughs> and, my head, and what is in my head. Right. Sure. Absolutely. What do you and with a trauma, it stays unresolved. Right. So what's unique about hmm. what's unique about traumas is that we can liken them back to an originating event. So. We don't see that with other types of conditions. If somebody's suffering from depression, you're not going to be able to trace it back to some moment when the depression started. Mm. Depression is something that's generalized and episodic. Um, there's no defining moment of schizophrenia. There's no defining moment of a phobia having been taken root. What's interesting about trauma is we can almost always take it back to an originating event. We know what happened. Interesting. We can speak about it. We can speak about the irrationality of the moment. 
that's not something we're always afforded with other types of conditions. So uh, with those people that have, let's say, depression or generalized anxiety or phobias, has this proven to be effective? Like how uh, has people come to you with yeah, that? Yeah, so I, I don't work with clinical Clinic, right, with right, with right. people with clinical conditions, I work with people who are struggling with limitations, you know, disempowering beliefs, struggles, yeah. stresses, you know, things like that. Certainly, people dealing with with events in their life that are that they're having a hard time getting beyond. Um, and when we're working with those people, we see the kind of success rates that I talked about. You know, mm-hmm. we're seeing, and I'm being really conservative here. Um, we're seeing 85 percent or more of them. Wow you know, completely and fully integrated and moved beyond that, that which we worked on. Um, so we're seeing remarkable results in that way. And we're, and we're keeping track of what's happening there. People struggling with clinical depression, clinical levels of anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar, things like that. I've worked with those people, but I insist that they continue to see their psychiatric professional or their specific psychologist so that they have a regular conventional regime that they're working through to to continue to help them in whatever modality that therapist helps them with. And I'm willing to discreetly go in and say, okay, these are the moments where you're saying nobody's helped you reconcile this. These are the moments you're saying you're still stuck around. Mm -hmm. Then I come in and I work with them around those specific specific moments moments, and clear that up. And then, you know, (laughs) I'll, I'll very arrogantly say I'm, I'm doing their, their conventional practitioner a favor. (laughs) Um, so, but those are the kind of, people come to me when, when everything else has not worked, hmm. you know, that's when I finally see people. But if I know that they're struggling with some sort of clinical condition or they've been diagnosed with something, it's a requirement for me to make sure that they continue to see that professional and I will augment, you know, gotcha. And you augment work that therapy with, with that person. Yeah. So, say. you know, if, if they're on medication for the depression, they got to stay on that medication. Right. You know, if they're seeing somebody for uh, a personality disorder, they've got to continue that regime with that individual. So I don't claim that I can remove those clinical conditions. Right. But I can give people integration around defining life moments that they're having a difficult time accepting and integrating. Got that it. I can do. So that's really powerful stuff, man. I mean, that's that's so fascinating. You know, it's like. The mind, you know, when you have that cognitive dissonance, when you have those, those that split point, right? The split point between reality, as what happened, and reality is what it was expecting in your mind. It's like they mutually arise; those two things, they just keep spinning. That duality just keeps spinning in your mm-hmm. mind, and until you integrate it back to present moment, you just are in that constant momentum, that spin, and and it's really about just integrating those two things into the present moment. It's just fascinating how much, how simple it is, you know, just talking about it in a sense, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and how complicated we make it out to be with, with all these heavy heaviness to it. You know, what do you think is the, the biggest, you know, we talked about robustness. We talk about our ability to integrate and there's certainly a level of skill involved here too, to be able to integrate yourself back through these difficult experiences. What do you, Today, what do you think the biggest obstacle or barrier to our own power, our own consciousness, our own power to to supersede these situations? What do you think the biggest barrier is today? 
it's kind of an open-ended yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I got a risky answer coming up. It's um, go for it. <laughs> it's the insistence of specialness. Mm-hmm. It is finding a certain identity, a certain kind of specialness in victimhood. Mm. That's not going to go over well with some people when they hear this, but that's what's going on. There, there is a, there's an exaltation of victimhood right now. Mm. There, there's a, there's a victim contest going on. You know. What do you think caused that though? I mean, that reminds me of this paper I wrote way back in freaking high school about. Nietzsche and the the change of you know from the Greco-Roman ideals into the Judeo-Christian ones and how we exalt the the weak and all this stuff. But what do you think is contributing to that? Like what? It has to do with levels of consciousness. Things move from magic to mythic to rational to relational to integral consciousness. And I know that's a lot of big words, but basically what it's saying is that our value system shifts and changes. Hmm. So when our worldview works for us, we stay in that worldview. When that worldview starts to exhaust its capacity to answer our most pressing questions, then we go looking for the next higher worldview. Hmm. When we're real little, we can get by with a magical worldview. You know, we can have imaginary friends. We can close our eyes real hard and hope that somebody will go away. We can, Hmm. you know, think that we can, uh, you know, command things around with our will and things like that, right? We're kids. We do that. We have pretend play. There's a lot of fantasy involved. Hmm. Um, that same consciousness is, is evident in, in very primitive cultures where, okay, the volcano is personally mad at our tribe. And so we're going to go. Yeah. Mythology. And yeah, we're going to go chuck a fresh virgin in it and then we'll satisfy that particular God, right? This magical beliefs. And that eventually gives way to a more mythical viewpoint or a more fundamentalist viewpoint or. Mm. Uh, a more membership-based type of viewpoint where you say, okay, well, maybe I'm not magical, but this deity, this symbol is magical, so I'll hand it over to Selective them. Selective magical. And I'll say the right rites and and chants and, and the right words to this omnipotent one, and they'll do it on my behalf because I'm saying I surrender to you and say, oh, well, you can do it. So you, right. we, uh, we defer, we pass off the magic to an omnipotent one. And you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Everybody listening Still knows happening. how that goes. <laughs> and then um, and then you wake up from that one day and you start taking on something more rational, something that you can make better predictions. You start thinking things through. You start understanding cause and effect and you start getting a bit more skeptical. And along with that comes a greater capacity for prediction. Mm-hmm. And it works better. And so you start to have a more rational reasoning outlook and viewpoint. And that works pretty well, but that brings about a certain type of um, lack of purpose or meaning. Or um, it can do that. It can bring a lack of purpose and meaning. I was thinking more that it can become oppressive. Hmm. How so? Well, it, it creates the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> hmm. You know, it's they have it and we don't. You yeah. know, or yeah, that's really great, but look at all the destruction it's creating. You know, Mm. or yeah, that was a great achievement, but at what cost, right? We start weighing those things out. We start getting much more environmentally minded, much more ecologically minded, Mm. right? So we start saying, well, yeah, all that industry was really awesome, but look what it's done to the ecosystem, you know, Mm. or yeah, you made a lot of money, but at the cost of all these citizens and what about them? Mm. You know, we start questioning the motives, 
we start wondering, we start putting everything in a relative perspective. And that's that next relational relativistic level of consciousness where you start questioning all of that. Hmm. And you start saying, well, wait a minute. How does um, it relate? Things were equal, but it's not equitable. <laughs> you know? Um, so this level of consciousness is beautiful. And it's what I was referring to earlier, you know, and it's very sensitive and it's really, it's relativistic and it's relational and it's very inclusive and it's very sensitive. And that is much needed. Hmm. Um, but it comes with it, uh, a dark side, which is it, it has a, a horrible streak of narcissism in it and it never really gets anything done. It wants to discuss it wants to recognize, but there's never achieving of a goal. It never really gets anywhere. Hmm. And so everything is heard, but not everything is, is completed. Acted upon. Nothing's acted upon. And that's an important level. And at some point, the non-action of that will become apparent. And there's also a lot of what we call performative contradictions in that way of thinking. So I'll, I'll try to make sense of that really fast. You know, it's like some of you will say, I, I just can't believe people who judge people well you're making a judgment about judging people <laughs> right <laughs> right you know or um you know so that's that's what they call a performative contradiction you know so um people can get caught up in that mm. sort of thing right because they can't see that very last step that makes it personal yeah yeah you know or they'll get stuck on um uh My final viewpoint is correct, and, and all hierarchies are terrible except for the hierarchical decision you just made that yeah that compares you know, <laughs> puts your decision at the top. <laughs> so those are called performative contradictions, and sooner or later that will dawn upon an individual that they're caught up in that, hmm. um, and then that'll lead to a more integrative, holistic consciousness where you're able to see and honor all of the other levels I talked about. Leave them where they are. Feel no desire in you that you must change them and bring you along to where you are. Mm -hmm. You bow to them and honor them as a colorful, colorful spectrum of consciousness that's needed at those levels at that time for that person. And the best you can do on any given day is usher somebody through a transition period to the next healthier level of consciousness, but that we can honor all those levels and we don't need to change them. There's nothing wrong with them. Whereas the other levels that I spoke about are all sort of in a competition with each other mm -hmm. or can find the, the, they're all reactive to one another. They're in all some reactive. Sense, right. Yeah. And so the integrative consciousness is no longer reactive to all that. It can honor the entire spectrum. Got it. And so we're stuck right now in this relativistic consciousness and that's going to be our fad for a little while longer. And mm -hmm. until people start realizing it's inherent limitations, which they will, we know that because we see it happen in individuals. We just haven't seen it collectively yet. So we're going to have to wait a couple of years. Chronology will take care of it. Years will take care of it eventually. <laughs> um, you know, I'm in the business of trying to accelerate it for all the individuals, you know, that, that we help, but I, we're going to have to wait. Hmm. So until we get there, we're going to have to move through this. And the best we can do is express ourselves at the, at the healthiest capacity possible at the level that we're in. So there's healthy and unhealthy virtues to each level of consciousness. And the best we can do is encourage people to conduct themselves from 
the healthiest possible expression that they can. That's that's what we're hoping for. That sounds like a good good barometer for pretty much. I mean, because then you get out of the comparing mm-hmm. and the reaction to each one. You just treat each person as best as you can possibly be with you within your own conscious evolution. Yeah, hmm. and every one of those levels has a healthy a healthy version and an unhealthy version. With integ- with the integrated one at the very top. Yeah, is there are there any downsides to that? Are there? Oh yeah, with every level that you ascend to you solve the problem of the lower level but you create a brand new set of problems at the higher <laughs> so, level so what's the problem with the integrated one if that's the final one it isn't the final one. Oh, it's not the final no one. No, no there's there's two there's at least two other levels above that that we've been able to at least notice uh in some beings so and they will always unfold consciousness is always evolving it, there's mm. never going to be a final level and again, none of these are better than any other. Right. Yeah, they're just different. It's levels. just at each level that goes higher, there is a greater inclusiveness and a greater compassion. So the simplest way of saying it is at the lowest level of consciousness, you have fear and reactivity mm-hmm. and chaos. And that at the most leading edge of consciousness, you have the greatest amount of compassion, embrace, and love. Mm. Okay. And so at each level of consciousness, you have a greater capacity to hold perspective. Um. So what's the downfall of the integrative consciousness? <laughs> it's lonely. It can come across as very um, self-inclusive. It it can come off as sort of haughty hmm. and um, righteous. Hmm. It can be a bit impatient. Um, and it breaks a lot of rules because it's focusing on competency. It's focusing on flow. It's focusing on best person to situation fit. And it's able to say... Yeah, I see how you see that, but you don't know what you don't see. And so it it can cause a lot of reactivity. When you when you say it breaks a lot of rules, what do you what do you mean by that? Um, it's not interested that level of consciousness is no longer interested in your accolades, your titles, your initials, mm. your your seniority. It's like are you a good fit? Are you competent? Right. <laughs> are you the best one because this has got to happen. I don't have time to play this. Um, it also has a certain level of impatience about it. it tolerance seems to be a bit thin at mm. that level because at that level, the chaos is very apparent. This in, in the, in the psychological speak, this level is called chaotic. It is a blend of the paradox of chaos and order. Mm. And it's constantly wrestling with that ongoing paradox of chaos and order, chaos and order. And so um, those, and those people are brand new arriving at this consciousness. So they are awakened, but they are not yet embodied. So you, you asked if there's levels beyond Yeah, this level, I would say is, is integrally awakened, but it is not integrally embodied. The level beyond it would be embodied, would be integrally embodied, which means you could walk that talk, you could show up as that one and not just have the awakening and the awareness of it. Mm. So there's a little bit of newbieitis to the people (laughs) arriving at this, which is they get it all cognitively, but their ability to live it hasn't quite developed yet. They're a little wonky with it. Remember when we were teaching ballroom dance and somebody had just figured out the first couple steps of cha-cha and they thought they were hot (laughs) and you're going, oh man. Here we go. You got a lot to learn. Like they haven't really embodied it yet. You know, they're flailing their arms around and the timing's right. off. They got the feeling, but it's not yeah. masterful. And they're, 
they're <laughs> grinning like village idiots, man. They're having a great old time. They're having more fun yeah. with that cha-cha than anybody else. But you look at them and go, okay, it's an awesome start, but there's a lot we got to cultivate. Right. Right. You got to show up and have cha-cha in your body. You got to mm. live that rhythm as you. You know that. Yeah. You know, and that's with this whole, I, I like how you distinguish between there's a level of awareness, which is where everything begins, right? And then it kind of goes outward into the physical world. And that's that level of mastery is really living it through your habits and actions. And, you know, one thing that you know, I've found myself in conversations about this too with uh, with my buddies is that it, today, we, especially with social media, and, you know, you see these, for example, these inspirational videos, and it's all about raising awareness, but it, to me, in some sense, it's it's like a cheap high. You know, it's like they give these little four-minute moments. They're very well-done videos. You know, it doesn't matter who made them, but they're like there's some sort of story. And then the, the lesson is very simple, like don't care what people think about you, you know. And it's a very well-played story. And you look at that video and like, oh, my God, you know, you're right. And it's all emotional. You get a little high. And then you're off back. And we – we prefer that because we can immediately access it through awareness. We can get that little nugget, a little burst, but then we go back to Instagram mm-hmm. scrolling or, you know, complaining about, you know, whatever. Our yeah. fries are cold or something like that, you know. So, I don't know. What, it, what, is, what is the key to – you got that awareness that's – I, have, okay. I have the key. I got it what's the you. What's the cheap you – know, I have the key. You just won't like it. What's the way to – so I'll say something body. provocative and then I'll describe it. Yeah. Waking up is old news. It's specifically about 2,600 years old. That's how old news waking up is. Hmm. Okay. So I'm drawing an arbitrary line in the sand and saying, okay, so what happened 2,600 years ago? Well, the Buddha woke up. Bud means awake. Hmm. Buddha is the one who awakened. What did the Buddha awaken to? His true nature, who he was and what he was. And he found out that, okay, what causes you to... What causes you to stray from who you are and what you are? Okay, Mm. desire. Okay, we have a being who woke up. Mm. And back then, that was probably one of the very, very first times where, and it wasn't the the first time, but it was one of the first times where somebody woke up and it began to catch fire. Mm. That the, 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 the evolutionary ripple of that particular awakening was very profound. Mm. And we can mark that. We can, we can look on a calendar and mark that. And that was important. And then about 500 years later, another guy comes on the scene and he has another awakening experience, another unitive experience. But this time it's not around the nature of who he is or what he is. It's around compassion and love. Mm. Okay. And we mark that line in the sand and our our entire calendar is based on this, right? Mm. So we got the awakening of Christ. So we've got two very profound awakenings of mind and heart happening within about five, 600 years of one another. Mm. Okay. That's how old waking up is. So what's changed? Well, the world has changed. What am I saying? The world has gone on to become more complex. The world is more complex now than it was 2,000 years ago. For sure, more people too. We have more people. We have more things to balance. All those perspectives that I told you about have enriched. There's so much more going on. So at that time, awakening was enough. What's happened since then? Awakening is critical. It is step one. Developmentally since that time, it's become important that you grow up, you mature, Mm. you begin to temper, fire, cask, 
you know, these awakenings? Can you, can you hold them stable? Hmm. Then that isn't enough either. Now what's happening with this new wave of consciousness, that's going to continue on from this moment for the next couple hundred years is now showing up. So waking up was enough at another epoch. Yeah. Then the time between that time and now has been about growing up, maturing, being able to harness and seize, maintain, sustain that awakening. That's critical. Now, in, in our opinion, what's happening is now we're being asked to embody it, to show up, to give that, to give the fruits of that awakening and that cultivation and give that from your deepest service. Give that as your genius. Give that as your So brilliance. the difference would then be between growing up and showing up. Growing up is really about trying to make it real for yourself, whereas showing up is, okay, I've taken that growth that I've done and I'm I'm serving. I'm serving, exactly. I am I'm serving. taking it to the next level. Expand, yeah. I'm helping to expand the consciousness. Yes, and I would say, if I may climb atop the shoulders of Gandhi and say, be the change was correct for the time, now it's going to be, you must, you must do the change. Hmm. Without any kind of expectation of some sort of spiritual goodie for doing it. Right. <laughs> That it is because yeah. it is your calling, because it is your dharma, because it is your mission mm -hmm. to serve. So I have a little sort of image in my mind and I'll go through it quickly, not to bore everybody, but this is how I think about it. You know, if I can, if I'm playing in the mud, I can suddenly discover, have an awakening. Oh my God, if I put this stuff in my hand, I, I can turn it into a form. I can make a little man with it. I can make a little ball with it. I can make a little bowl with this mud. Isn't that fun? It was this gooey stuff, but I've, I've molded it into an image that was in my head. That's an awakening. And that's brilliant. Yeah, you saw something that you didn't see before. You, you've created something that you didn't, you know, that wasn't there before. And that's amazing. But if I just let it go back into the mud, it just becomes mud again. But if I somehow by accident leave it sitting out, I put it on the wall and the sun comes and it bakes it, it'll harden it. It'll stay in the form that I left it. It'll, it'll be tempered. It'll be, we, we temper steel, we cask wine, we fire pottery, we mature cheese. We, we love things that are put through a constraint. We love things that are put through it. Hmm. As adults, we love that things kept that... kept in some form or another. Yeah. As adults, we really prize and value things that are aged, that have been put through some sort of tempering process. So if I leave it out, the sun will bake that thing and it'll stay in that form. And that's great too. Okay? Um, so let's say it was a bowl. Okay, now I've got a bowl. Now it's hardened. It stays in a bowl shape. But if I just go home and give it to mom and say, mom, I made you an ashtray. <laughs> right? And we all did this, you know. It goes on a shelf and it collects dust. But if I take that bowl that I formed from my imagination, from my deepest creative impulse, I allow it to harden. And then I put something in it and I serve you from it. Now I'm putting it into action. Mm, yeah, you put the action component to it. Mm -hmm. I'm serving from it. So for me, that's how I exemplify and sort of imagine waking up, growing up and showing up mm. in my mind. Then to bring it all full circle, we were topic tonight was to talk about traumatic experiences. We may have to clean up anywhere along that continuum. So anywhere from waking up 
to growing up to showing up, we may have to clean up. Hmm, I like that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And so that's how it all works for us. That's, that's, that's our model. That's the way we approach training. That's the way we approach clients. That's our viewpoint. And we're having a lot of success with that. And we're seeing rapid transformation. And, and we've, we've been lucky enough to be honored to help a lot of people. Oh, it's really amazing what you guys do. And I'm, I love just how simple and how effective it is and how you bring it down and, and you make it relatable. And it's like, wow, you know, because a lot of the, the power in these situations, uh, and, I, and I use power in the word of like that they have power over us, is our own reflective mental thought about this happened and it's going to be hard to get over and God, what a big deal it is. And everybody else says it's such a big deal. And, you know, you add so much weight to it, you know, but when you realize, like you said, that we're very robust and that we can overcome so much more than what we think we can, I think that's very inspiring. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, you want to share what uh, you get some, some stuff coming up or going on? Yeah, so we do uh, we do practitioner trainings ongoing, and people can reach out to us at uh, www.psylogia, P-S-Y-L-O-G-I-A dot org. Mm-hmm. And there's some information on the website. It's more of just an online business card, but people can contact us through there. And like I said, we're, we're taking uh, applications for trainees, people who want to be master coaches. That's cool. In this phenomenon, and also um, people who are looking to heal themselves. So we can help a person who's got struggles and setbacks with one-to-one coaching. And we can also offer uh, trainings in these protocols and we're not selling our system. We want to empower others to be more effective at the craft that they've already taken on. Given some additional skills pretty much. Yes. Really fortifying their existing skill set, And um, so that's how our trainings work. People can find us there, send us any inquiries, any questions, anything like that. We're happy to talk with people. And uh, so, yeah. Cool. And we we do work all over. So we're international. Um, We, I do, gosh, at this point I'm doing about 90% of my work over the telephone. Wow. That's, that's incredible, man. Yeah. So pretty cool stuff. One more question for you. What's up? What are you most grateful for today? Hmm. Today I'm most grateful for that which I did not plan on happening. I am grateful for grace. I'm grateful for the things that I did not plan on happening and that spontaneously happened anyway, in spite of myself. And that everyone around me was still served, even though we had hiccups and setbacks and annoyances. We all got to where we were going and what needed to happen happened in spite of all my efforts to probably thwart that. Hmm. And I am deeply grateful that, that we still get there. Wow. That there's grace. That's awesome, man. (laughs) Thank you so much, man. This has been an amazing conversation as usual. We always have awesome. We always have awesome conversations. (laughs) (laughs) Totally awesome. I love, I love talking about this kind of stuff. Okay, good. Next time I'll put you on the spot and we'll we'll take you through a live demo yeah, of what we're talking about. It's really piqued my interest for sure. Yeah. So we'll do that next time rather than just talk about it. We'll we'll actually take you through it. And if people listening want to go through it with you on that journey, then they'll get to go through it too. Yeah, sweet. Awesome, man. Yeah. Right on. Until next time. Cheers. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, guys, for listening to that interview with my awesome friend, Wesley Fuquay. He is the founder of the Psylogia Institute for the Development of Consciousness, Purpose, and Transformation over here in Arizona. He's also served for 15 years as a psychological science faculty at Maricopa Colleges in Arizona. And he's created a lot of coursework for the psychology of consciousness and mature ego development. And recently, he has put his efforts in educating and training therapists, counselors, and coaches, as well as leaders in the Psylogia method, a rapid shift therapy, as we kind of talked about in this interview, uh, which is being positioned as one of the leading edge transformational psychological practices of the 21st century. As you can see, he's got massive, massive results in a very short amount of time with this powerful method. So I highly encourage you, you know, if any of this interview related to any part of your life, anybody in your life, anybody you know, um, share it with them. Let them know, you know, this this kind of stuff. I, I bring people on this show that are, uh, you know, obviously my people that I know and some people that I don't know, but also that are really making an impact in the world. That's what it's about. It's about first inspiring you, inspiring myself, spreading these inspirational stories and, and really cool things that maybe we didn't even know about. Uh, but in second way, it's also supporting these individuals who are up to great things, who are, you know, trying to help people heal, help people recover, help people be empowered. You know, one of the main topics and, and tenets of this podcast is to help you live a transformed life. You know, that's that's one of the big things. And ultimately, all these people that I bring in, you know, in the last couple months, I've had, you know, people on healing, you know, relationship abuse on the emotion code uh, with my friend Lee. We've talked about health and wellness. We've talked about, you know, healing trauma. All these things are designed to help you overcome the obstacles and barriers to your own success, your own happiness. That's what it's all about. You know, we all have things that we carry with us, you know, unfortunately, it's just part of life, right? But it's it's also a gift in disguise in the sense that, you know, like we talked about in the interview, your wounds can be your greatest gifts if you really uh, treat them that way and you use them as opportunities to grow. And these kinds of things like these trauma recovery uh, situations, these these modalities and and therapies can really go a long way because they help you turn these these very negative experiences at first, you know, we suffer, they're painful into opportunities and, and sources of creativity and inspiration, you know, down the road, and they help you flip the script, so to speak, right? So check them out, you know, Wesley is offering a free discovery session, usually there's a cost for that. So if you mention this episode, when you get in touch with them, that's uh, a free discovery session to basically, you know, check out and see what what kind of stuff they have. And then also, uh, the first responders, if you're a first responder, if you are in the military, if you're a veteran, if, you any, uh, if you're suffering from any kind of post-traumatic situation or still lingering effects of your, your duty, uh, the Psylogia Institute is offering a complimentary trauma release session. And just to remind you from the interview, they've had amazing results in just one session. So uh, check it out. You know, that's a really, really cool thing that they're doing, especially for the first responders. I absolutely love that. So again, Wesley, uh, you can reach him at www.psylogia, spelled P-S-Y-L-O-G-I-A dot org, or you can call 602-284-9328. My buddy, Wesley, awesome guy. Check him out. And I hope you have an awesome, awesome rest of your day. Again, if anything in this episode resonated with you or people that you know, let them know. Spread the love. 
you know, it's not for me, it's really for spreading these positive messages and, and sharing something that somebody wouldn't have found in their own way, you know, so you never know, somebody like Wesley could make a difference in somebody in your life that maybe they would have never connected were it not for this episode. So share the love. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful day. episodes and weekly content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.